Prayer is not asking. It is a longing of the soul. It is a daily admission of one's weakness. It is better in prayer to have a heart without words than words without a heart. Mahatma Gandhi Is prayer your steering wheel or your spare tire? Corey Ten Boom Prayer is putting oneself in the hands of God, at His disposition, and listening to His voice in the depth of our hearts. Mother Teresa The function of prayer is not to influence God, but rather to change the nature of the one who prays. Soren Kierkegaard We tend to use prayer as a last resort, but God wants it to be our first line of defense. We pray when there's nothing else we can do, but God wants us to pray before we do anything at all. Most of us would prefer, however, to spend our time doing something that will get immediate results. We don't want to wait for God to resolve matters in His good time because His idea of good time is seldom in sync with ours. Oswald Chambers Do not pray for an easy life. Pray for the strength to endure a difficult one. Bruce Lee Keep on asking, and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking, and you will find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Jesus. All right, well, let's jump in. Uh, Would you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. My sister is deaf. Uh, She has been since birth, and I was part of a church that believed in the provision through prayer for divine healing. Anybody else? Yeah, that like the prayer of the faithful will make the unwell person well. And so in my childhood years, I have like vivid memories of my parents like walking my adolescent sister up to the front of our uh, divine healing believing church, praying that her unwellness in her hearing would become well and that she would be healed and her hearing would be restored to her. And she is still deaf. So what happened there? Did it like, did it not work? Did, did we not phrase it correctly? Did we say the wrong thing or the wrong prayer or the wrong people at the front? Was it the wrong pastor or the wrong parents or the wrong brother or the wrong sister? Like why do some prayers get answered and why do some prayers go unanswered? Now by show of hands, how many of you here have prayed and you've received an answer to prayer? Okay, look around, keep your hands up. Yep, okay, hands down. By show of hands, how many of you have had a prayer go unanswered? Yeah, like the same amount of hands. So what is the deal? Why does that happen? 
what is this good news about prayer that Jesus moves us towards, that, that scripture attests to, and does it work? And what do we do? What does it feel like when it doesn't work? Now, I also have a friend um, who's part of our faith com- community here at the Meeting House who, um, like, every time she prays, it feels like it does work. Like, she always shares stories about, like, oh, I was praying for this and it happened. I'm like, you're so irritating. Uh, <laughs> right? Do you know people like this? And then even when she prays out loud, it's like a a symphony. It's just like the right words and the right cadence, the right tenor and tone. I'm just like, oh man, it's so beautiful and well-spoken. And then sometimes when I pray, or maybe when you pray, it feels like you're a toddler. Like you're like, God, I don't know what to pray. Like it just does not come across the same way. So what is the deal there? And yet, the witness of scripture is that the divine, that God wants to be in communication with us. Over 700 times in the narrative of scripture, the concept of prayer, the verb of prayer is mentioned as this is how God wants to communicate, to connect with us, that we are image bearers of the divine and that the divine intends to speak with those who bear his image. But why does it seem so broken? So welcome to part three of our series, Good News. Welcome to part three of our series, Good News, in particular, the good news about prayer, that prayer in the economy of Jesus is about asking and seeking and knocking, asking and seeking and knocking. So why is prayer good news? Why is prayer good news? Because it connects us with the divine. It, it, it reminds us that it's a two-way, it's a relationship, it's a two-way street. It's not just a download of a monologue from God to us or us like petitioning our, uh, petitioning our journaling thoughts to him. It's a two-way conversation that this has always been in the mind and the heart and the spirit of God to interact with his creation, whom he loves, which is us. So I'm gonna invite you to turn in your Bibles if you have them or if you have them on your phone or if you're watching online or at any one of our sites Uh, Matthew chapter seven, and we're going to be working through um, verses seven to nine. If you um, are checking us out for the first time, whether here in person or at any one of our sites, and you're like, I don't have a Bible. I don't know how that works. Where would I look? If you go to the middle of the Bible, turn right to the book of Matthew, which is the first episode of the gospel, and then go all the way to the number seven. And we're going to be reading through kind of the middle section. Now, it's interesting, uh, before we jump in here, um, if you notice in your heading, if you have a Bible with a heading, what has Jesus started this section out with? Do not judge. Isn't that amazing? To set up intimacy with like each other and the divine, Jesus does not start with like this, this treatsy of like, here's what happens in the supernatural when you pray. He's like, let's start here. Don't be a jerk. Like you're not in a position to judge anybody. Don't be a jerk to each other. Leave that to God and you be a brother or sister to everybody around you. Now, when you pray, here's what he says. Keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you for everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks finds, and to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. You parents, any parents here? Any parents or grandparents? Yes, you parents. If your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? Or if they ask for a fish, do you give them a a, a snake? (laughs) A snake would be good too. 
Do you ask for a snake? Of course not. So if you broken people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give good gifts to those who ask? And so do to others what you would like them to do to you. This is the essence, the summation of all that is taught in the law and the prophets. Okay, so a quick bit of context here. It's interesting that Jesus is not in the city of God. Jesus is not in the central locus focus point of where God should be, which is in Jerusalem. He's in the northern part of Israel, up on a hill that would have been rife with peasants, poor people, a mixed group of people with Gentiles, non-believers, and also Jewish people who were struggling. Like the struggle would have been real. This is a rural agrarian culture, and Jesus chooses to set up camp with them. Now, Matthew compiles um, the, the gospel account of like his, uh, uh, Jesus' greatest hits. And so it's called the Sermon on the Mount. Literally Jesus talking the sermon interaction with these people who need to hear about the God who loves them and that the God, the God who intends for them to love each other. He sets up camp in an agrarian rural culture outside of the city of God uh, with, with a large group of people we can assume and also his closest followers, his disciples, whom he's called out of poverty as well. Now it's interesting in the culture at the time, the people who are gathering to listen would have most likely, uh, you can bet on it, had a concept of like um, divine karma. Have you heard of that before? So divine karma is like, uh, you can pray to God, you can interact with the divine, but God is like holy apart, other judge, king, ruler. And in, in a, a, a Greekified sense, like almost like Zeus, like somewhere else kind of angry and how dare you like push back on anything that he's doing in your life. And if there's anything that's gone wrong in your life, if you're suffering or you're poor, or you're starving, your kids are sick, or you're not able to bear children, it's your deal, not God's. It's your fault, not God's. It may not be your personal sin, but it's likely the sin of your father, your father, father, your father's father, your father, father, and so on, and so on, and so on. And so for Jesus to be interacting with people, teaching um, a brand new way of being, a brand new way of what it means to be human and a human loved by God, a human loved by God that can interact with the divine in an intimate way. Imagine that. Put yourself in those people's position. Wait, hold on. Like God is not mad. That God is interested in my well-being. That God is here and present and that God is like a parent. Incredible and so foreign to what would have been their experience at the time. Jesus, um, but takes them through this flow in Matthew 5 to 7, uh, outlining like, um, you shouldn't need to get revenge on people. You shouldn't be angry. You shouldn't lust after money. You shouldn't lust after power. You shouldn't just like relegate the order of the world to, to politics and the people that like want to fight and kill. Instead, you should be oriented towards peace, other-centeredness, love, self-sacrifice, prayer, non-judgment, enemy love, even will be willing to suffer and die because this is the new economy of the kingdom. Now for us in a very westernized, uh, privileged um, part of the world, for us we're like, Sure. It's, I mean, okay. Like, I guess we're going to have to give up some stuff. Um, for these people first hearing it, it was the exact opposite. They'd already given up so much. It's like, this is how we have to live anyway. And Jesus is like, yes, this is the, sin, the signal that, the, that, that God's presence is here with you, that in your suffering, in your pain, in your poverty, that like, 
This is the kingdom that God wants to live in with, through, and use you. Isn't that amazing? That God is eager to be in connection. God is in it for the good of you and for the good of the world. And even in our economy of like spirituality and faith today, we, we think like the world is real bad uh, and always has been. And we hope that God will end this real bad world and start with the new world. And that's actually not what the narrative of scripture says. It's that God created the world and everything in it, including us and called it good. good. And that at the end of all things, God is going to bring more good. That it's, it's a story of good to gooder, not bad to worse, and then burn the whole thing down. So imagine as a first century poor Jewish peasant who's like day to day looking for your daily bread, day to day looking for like, are my crops gonna fail? Is, are my kids gonna get sick and die? Will my name continue on? Imagine this message of connection, of intimacy, of the, of the care of the divine for you, that God wants what is good for us and will give it. God wants what is good for us and will give it. And that the bedrock of all this is intimate communication and connection with the divine, also known as prayer. Prayer, which a literal definition is connection, communion with Yahweh, with Jesus, with the spirit. Very simple. Connection, it's not like the, the right words necessarily or the right phraseology or the right person with a beanie up front trying to lead and, and teach and talk. It's intimacy, connection, communion with the divine and communion back from the divine with us. And I, the, the brilliance of Jesus as usual is Jesus gives us a framework to think about this. And it's of a parent, a good parent, a father, mother, and a persistent child a good parent, father, mother, and a persistent child. Um, most scholars think that like, have you heard Jesus? Um, he, he, what, what's the word, the kind of slang word that he uses for father? Abba, 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 Abba. It's like a Hebrew kind of like, um, like stumbly story, Abba, 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 Abba. It's, a, it's the thing like if you were to fly to Israel, you would hear little Jewish kids calling their dad this, Abba, 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 Abba. Uh, lots of scholars think that Jesus coined this phrase. Most Jews wouldn't even say the name of God, Yahweh. Uh, they would just say like the name, the name Hashem, right? Uh, think about the brilliance of Jesus being like, oh no, no, not only can you say his name, but he's like your, your dad, he's your mom. He's the spirit, like the all encompassing loving presence that uh, loves you, has created you and guides the entire world. You can call him Abba. Uh, he's like a parent, a mother uh, to you, a father to you. And you are like a persistent, not an irritating necessarily sometimes. Uh, you are like the persistent um, child who responds to this caring parent. Now we have two kids. Um, when Caitlin was little, uh, she's our oldest. She was a puker. Puked all the time, had like stomach bugs. And what K Caitlin would say to like give us the heads up is, Daddy, I'm going to puke. And she did not lie, she did. So when she said, I'm going to puke, moments later, pardon my French, it would just like come up. Now, why was Caitlin telling me that? Was that like so that I would go to med school and gain all the tools to someday down the road rectify this? Maybe, but most likely she's just like, I just need you to be here. It's uncomfortable. I feel not well. I need to know that you, my daddy, are going to be here to help me, to comfort me, to care for me, and to clean me up. I think that's what God is like with us. Ella, on the other hand, was an eater, still is, 
all the time. Food, food, food. In particular, Welch's fruit snacks. Have you had Welch's fruit snacks before? Yeah. Aren't they amazing? Yeah. Do you know what they don't contain? Fruit. Yeah. They're just candy. It's like Halloween candy that has been marketed to children to make them feel better. And parents make them feel better about themselves. And as soon as I polluted my child's consciousness with these sugary snacks, daily, my friends, daily, Ella would just be like, Daddy, can I have a Welch's? 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 Breakfast, lunch, dinner, church, baptism, showers, bedtime. Welch's, Welch's, Welch's. Can I please have a Welch's? Can I please have a Welch's fruit snack? Please have a Welch's fruit snack. She's 14 now and still asks for the same thing. Now, um, is there anything inherently like sinful, wrong, terrible about that? No, no. There are some uh, foods and drinks that like don't have a lot of nutritional value, but are still like a, a like a good thing, a tasty thing to eat. Our taste buds are created in a way that like it brings joy. Um, but do you see the difference of when that tips towards like this is the only nutrient, the only thing that's going in the body? I mean, these are little like cavity causing pieces of glue that just like stick to your teeth. And so eventually we got to the point where I'm like, Ella, no more Welch's fruit snacks. Um, you'd be surprised to learn that her response to me was not, oh, I get it, daddy. Yeah, thank you so much for just being a faithful father and presence in my life. She'd be like, more Welch's fruit snacks. Now, like a snack here or there is like not terrible, but what's the, what's the deeper appetite that Ella was craving? sugar, but like if she's hungry, is she actually hungry for sugar? No, she's hungry for food, right? She's hungry. She she equates joy with like that thing that I eat, I really like, and it makes me less hungry. That's the only thing that I want. Now, if I were a negligent father, I'd just be like, you know what? I went to Costco this week. I've bought you five kilograms of Welch's fruit snacks. You are in charge of your own destiny. Go for it. Enjoy. I hope you don't get sick. No, of course not. It's my job and like the appetite, the conversation behind the question for Ella was like, I'm hungry. I like what this thing tastes like. Will you please feed me what I need? And so oftentimes me saying no, like, is it more loving for me to my kids to just give them what they want no matter what? Or is it more loving? Is no oftentimes the more loving response? Of course. No is oftentimes when your kids are really young, the, the, the loving parental response to the appetites of kids that are still like learning how to interact with the world. No is the most loving response. This doesn't mean that I'm not like listening to her, that I don't care about her desires, um, but that I do, that I want the best. And that like fruit snacks, every waking hour of her freaking life is not doing the trick. And I think this is the imagery that Jesus is getting us to, that God is good, that God is trustworthy, that God is present, that God invites the asking and the seeking. And sometimes when we ask and seek, the answer will be no. And that's a loving response. Sometimes the answer will be yes but sometimes the answer will be no. Sometimes the answer will be wait. Sometimes the answer will be it's not yet. It's not what you actually need. What you want is not what you actually need. But hold on, I, I also like already as, as we're walking through this, I am hearing myself say, okay, but like if God is all knowing, if God already knows everything that we need, like what is the point? Anyway, like, aren't we just like players in this divine script and it's already predetermined and so what does it matter? Have you ever thought that 
way before. Some of us are saying yes. Some of us are saying like, no way. If God already knows, why would we pray for anything? Like, doesn't God have better things to do than to open up a parking spot or help us to get that job or that car or take away that cold or take away that cancer? Should we bug him? Should we be persistent and consistent as like little kids who are loved by a divine father and mother when we pray? Yes, it seems so. The New Testament of Scripture, the Old Testament of Scripture, the witness of the church, it seems so that this is the instruction that we're given by the Spirit of God and the person of Jesus. Jesus paints a picture um, that God knows everything that we want, that God knows everything that we need with all sorts of possibilities, and yet we still have agency, that he still invites questions and comments and concerns and requests and longings and frustrations and anger and lashes out. And do you know what he calls this? Prayer. If you've ever lashed out at God, if you've ever asked for what you want, what you need, this thing to happen or not happen, if you've ever been like ticked off, frustrated, journaling through a page or just needing a timeout, shaking your fist at God, this is not sin. This is welcome in the economy of God and it is called prayer. It's called prayer. This is the framework that Jesus is giving us here giving these suffering, poor, peasant people. This is the framework that Jesus is giving us here. Ask, seek, knock. Say that with me. Ask, seek, knock. So what is asking? Asking is like regular time with God and communication and connection, communicating our hearts and our minds, our thoughts, our longings, our requests, um, and, and submitting that to him. And Jesus says, if you ask, God will, think about it, journal about it, get back to you, text you later. No, that God will answer. But also we have a sense of agency that if we do not ask, if we do not ask, if we don't partner in this non-monologue relationship with God, if we do not ask, we likely will not receive. In my experience, this has been so true that God is not the angry Zeus wanting to like punch us in the face or stay completely away from us, that God is actually like a, a caring parent um, and, and wants, invites that dialogue. But when we don't, God does not charge into our lives and slam us in the head more often than not. Sometimes he does, but more often than not, in my experience, that God is like, okay, Jimmy, you, uh, you seem to got this. I'll be here when you're ready. So asking, regular time with God and communication and connection, uh, asking like the longing of your, of your heart, your, your requests, your, your questions, and then seeking. Now, this is an interesting one. I would contend that this is like the response back. Seeking is like the God, I've presented my request. What do you want to say with uh, and to me? Spending regular and consistent time with God, listening and hearing cultivating that appetite, that experience, that gifting, cultivating the posture of like being quiet enough, unplugged enough from a world of chaos and busyness to hear and know and recognize the voice and impression of God uh, by his spirit and to wait for a response in the unique ways that we're wired. Some of us hear like a, an audible voice, English 
uh, voice of God. I don't. Some of us experience um, like the communication of God through scripture, through readings, through the written word. I do. Some of us experience God through like the wandering and the, the taking in of creation and all of that counts. And do you know what God calls that? Prayer. Prayer. Asking, seeking, and then uh, knocking. Now this last one is fascinating. Knocking. So uh, real quick, when, when, when you think of the word like knocking, as it relates to like the gentleness of Jesus and the love of God, like what, what image does that like conjure up? What do you center here when you hear the word knock? Is it like, for me, it's always been like, oh, it's like the gentle God. Or I don't want to bug you, but if you're there, no, this is not the witness of scripture. I think Jesus puts, I know Jesus puts this in there for an example. Ask God, here's what I need. Seek God, how are you responding? God, where are you? Why aren't you responding? In a few months, we'll be walking into the, uh, this wisdom literature of Psalms and Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, and there's a huge chunk of wisdom literature that is exactly that. One psalmist puts it this way, God, why are you sleeping? Wake up. Do you not hear the cries of your people? What is it going to take? How much more pain and hardship do we need to experience? God, where are you asking, seeking, and knocking. And God, Jesus invites this. Jesus invites this. He does not push back or reject. The knocking is, is a, a, a fascinating thing. It's, it's the petitioning. It's the angry teenager knocking at the door of the bathroom. Let me in. Respond to me. God, where are you? Wake up. Now, how many of us have ever prayed that way? A few of us. How many of you have felt a little too nervous, a little too scared to pray that way? Mm-hmm. Me. I grew up in a church culture. I was like, yo, divine karma is real, bro. <laughs> Be careful what you ask for. I had my, my, oh my goodness. I was, I'll say it. Sorry, mom, if you're watching. My mom would often say, be careful, like don't love things too much because Jesus will, be taken, Jesus will take it away. And I'd be like, I love you, mom. But... <laughs> Just kidding. We're in a good relationship. But when you have this economy of like divine karma, like don't you be too mad at God because as mad as you can get at God, God is madder at you, way madder at you. I mean, think about Job 39 and onward. Where were you when I formed the earth? Where were you when, when? And yet, when we walk through the wisdom literature and the message of Jesus, it's far more gentle inclusion. Like even doubting Thomas, Jesus does not come back at him with uh, a sermon. He's like, I, I know, I know where you're at. I know how hard f- this is to process and fathom. I know the prayers that have gone unanswered, but I'm still here with you. Be persistent, consistent. You can petition God. You can raise your fist at God. He is big enough to handle it. When you're angry at God and shaking your fist in the air, Jesus has another name for that kind of communication, and it's called prayer. Prayer. Asking, seeking, knocking. Asking, seeking, knocking. Now, this knocking one, Jesus does as well. Have you noticed this? So what does Jesus do the night before he is about to be tortured on a Roman uh, uh, torture device and eventually will be put to death? Exactly. 
Jesus is in the garden outside of the city. He's in, he's in the city of God now, and he's about to be killed for it. And Jesus says, I don't want this uh, to happen. Father, mother, parent, if it's possible, please don't do this. If there's any other way, if there's any way that this cup, this cup of like wrath, um, uh, poured out by the Romans, by the political state at the time and the, and the Jewish people who want nothing to do with this new kingdom. If there's any way this cup of wrath can pass, please let it be possible. I don't want this to happen, but. Not as my will, but as your will. Not my will, but your will be done. You seem to know what you're doing, God. And despite my frustration and anger and my insecurity and questions, I will trust what you want to do. Not my will, but yours uh, be done. Jesus knocks too. Right alongside us, Jesus knocks too. And he trusts that God is good, that God is trustworthy, even when things seem um, foggy and dark, Uh, and leading towards death, asking, seeking, knocking. It's okay to ask, it's okay to seek, and it's even okay to knock, to slam your hand against God's door and say, please answer, wake up, where are you? But trust that the Lord is good and that God will respond to you, even in and through your pain. So as we move to a close, what is then the good news about prayer? I think it's just that, that Jesus invites us unapologetically to ask and seek and knock. Ask and seek and knock. Asking, what do we need? Trusting that God as a good parent will respond. Seeking, being consistent in our communication and waiting for God to respond. Carving out time where we can actually hear, developing uh, developing a discipline of turning our phones and our screens and our work off and spending disciplined time waiting to hear from the voice of God, waiting for God to respond to the knocking, being honest and even angry and petitioning God with our whole selves. And it seems that Jesus invites this and calls it prayer. prayer. I want to give us some homework this week, uh, whether here uh, in and amongst us uh, or watching online. Um, Many of us do this already. I have some fantastic mentors in my um, life who uh, prayer is not a discipline. It's just like an extension of who they are. It is a discipline for me. And likely with these nodding heads, it's a discipline for many of us. Could we commit to here and watching uh, across all of our sites and online or listening later on to two times, just two in this coming week, setting aside 30 minutes to an hour to do just that? to ask, seek, and knock. Twice this week, ask God, here's what I feel like I need. This is my daily bread request. Seek, God, what is it that you wanna say to me? How do you wanna like redirect me or or, uh, affirm me in a direction? What is it that you wanna say to me that will like help me to reflect Jesus in my daily encounters? And God, where are the things where I'm just like, ticked off. I don't get it. Where will you bring clarity? Imagine like our church, our, our faith community life. If like our whole church, our whole church, just like two times this week and the week after 
and a week after and a week after. We're unplugging from the wall of like doing and chaos and noise of the busyness of our lives and plugging into the wall of just asking and seeking and knocking. Imagine what our church would look like. Imagine what our faith lives would look like. Imagine what our community conversations would look like. And brothers and sisters, I want to be part of a faith community like that. Do you? Yes. Yes. So brothers and sisters, may we be consistently in communication with the divine because it's invited. Knowing that God is good and trustworthy and that he hears and responds when we ask and when we seek and when we knock. I'll invite you to close your eyes, uh, whether here and in person or watching online, or even if you're just listening, um, if you're driving a car or on a treadmill, maybe hop off a treadmill or uh, pull over to the side of the road. Um, but I want to invite us to close our eyes and uh, we're going to pray together. It's a version of the Lord's Prayer, which is just like how we started. Um, Jesus says, like, when you pray, um, don't babble on like the Pharisees and the Gentiles, the Jewish leaders, the, the religious leaders who just love to hear themselves speak. Instead, go away by yourself. Unplug from the chaos of life and pray like this. Our Father, Mother, and Parent, you're good, holy, loving, and trustworthy. We're asking to experience your presence tonight, today, this week, this month, this year, and action in ourselves and in the world, and we are willing and open to wait for it. So today, give us what we need. Not just what we feel we want or need, but give us what we need and give us the wisdom and patience to know the difference. Forgive us when we screw things up with you and when we screw things up with each other. Help us to be repenters, repairers, and forgivers too. Help us to not give in to pride and temptation that prioritizes only ourselves and selfish gain and move us away from what is wrong and evil and harmful. And God, move us towards what is pure and good and loving, which is your will and your way. Jesus, this is your kingdom, your power, and your work and we as a community want to be part of it forever and ever. And together we all said, amen, amen and amen.